Wait, what happened? I'm your host, Karima Saad. The issues are real. The conversations are not. This episode deals with criminal justice during COVID-19, specifically looking at measures that can slow the spread of transmission in jails. In that context, our conversation will address the question of bail. First, we're talking to lawyer and media commentator Ari Goldkind. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Ari, you present yourself as a straight shooter, someone who tells it like it is. But some of your views are quite controversial, particularly within the criminal defense community. So do you want the truth or do you want the defense lawyer Kool-Aid version? You tell me. Weird thing to say to another defense lawyer, but okay. We are also joined by Ray Trailer Jr., a former corrections officer. I want everybody to take a good look. A good, hard, long look. Six foot seven, 335 pounds of the meanest lawman in the world. Understand me, plain and simple. The meanest lawman in the world. You've got our attention, that's for sure. So, Calgary's police chief, Mark Newfeld, came under fire for a tweet he posted. Now, this was in response to an article by the Calgary Herald about a murder suspect who was granted bail on strict conditions. The police chief posed this rhetorical question. So, dot dot dot, just wondering, for a friend, what types of offenses slash offender would be refused bail then? I always like when people say, I'm calling on behalf of a friend. They call a sex therapist. They say, I'm calling for a friend. But I digress. The bail stage in a criminal proceeding is critical. Now, why is the bail stage critical? Because if a person receives bail, they're more likely to not go back to jail, more likely to face a lesser sentence. Their freedom is important. There's a whole bunch of things I can tell you as a proud defense lawyer about how important bail is. Yes, exactly. When someone gets charged with a criminal offense, it can take months, sometimes years, to get to trial. How that time is spent affects the outcome of the case. Let's unpack some of the practical implications of getting bail. First off, it's a lot easier to coordinate with a lawyer and prepare a full answer in defense. And even under strict bail conditions, there are possibilities in terms of employment, volunteering, education, treatment, things that are considered productive and may help, even if someone's ultimately convicted, to reduce the jail sentence or eliminate it altogether. Ray, it is common knowledge that some people plead guilty just to get out and put an end to the so-called dead time. We lock them up, we carry them downtown, we throw them in a nice, dirty cell, and leave them there to rot with a rat. That is messed up and very problematic. But it does remind me, there's also constitutional rights at play. You have the right to suffer. You have the right to feel pain. If you wish to have an attorney present, I'll hurt him too. I was actually referring to the presumption of innocence and the right not to be denied reasonable bail without just cause. For the benefit of our audience, Ari, are there any crimes where it's literally impossible to qualify for bail? That's not how our bail system works. There's three ways to get somebody kept in jail on charges. One, they won't show up for court. Two, he'll commit further crimes while out on bail. 
Third, public confidence and justice. People hear that and say, sure, we feel a lot better that he's in jail tonight, but that's not the test. It's somebody reasonable, well-informed, who understands our charter of rights, where bail is a right absent certain things. It doesn't play to Twitter or anti-social media, and it tends to look for crimes more of intentionality. In other words, a very case-specific, fact-specific analysis. And rightly so. Being locked up is a dehumanizing and often traumatizing experience. Wouldn't you agree? This is a place where there's a lot of heartache, a lot of sorrow. You go to any jail with me today on a tour where all of uh, clients of mine and other lawyers' clients are, there are a lot of people that need medical care there that really are on perpetual lockdown that can't even see a doctor properly, and it's something the ministry's aware of. It's a challenge for people in custody to access care, even at the best of times. And that's part of why bail is so crucial. I'm a defense lawyer. If I have a client who has a serious medical condition that cannot get that kind of care in the jail, he should be out. Add COVID-19 to the mix and it's a recipe for disaster. But you've been critical about the push to get inmates out of custody to prevent the spread of the virus. Why is that? We really have a problem here that nobody wants to talk about because of the politically incorrect nature. While the public is not watching, while the public is busy worrying about the fact that the economy is being destroyed, so many of the very wrong kinds of people have been released from jails because of the virus. I'm not talking about non-violent people, but violent young men have been released back into the community. Certain people have been released that even judges are fighting with each other through judicial decisions going to their fellow judges. How the hell are you releasing this person on a get-out-of-jail-free card? Wait, what? Are you referring to courtroom conversations between judges? Well, that's one of the things that I can't get behind-the-scenes secrets on because I'm not in those meetings, but no. Now that you mention it, how are these bail hearings taking place, considering physical distancing guidelines? Now everything is done by phone. Nobody's seeing anybody's face. And I just got an update on this today, this morning. Still hasn't figured out how to use video conferencing technology in courtrooms. Is there a push to adopt new technology? There's probably six million privacy concerns. Meanwhile, most people are on their phones all day, giving their privacy away to 17,000 apps and Amazon. <laughs> okay, let's, let's stay on track. Earlier, you referred to a get-out-of-jail-free card. That is not a thing. There's a certain set of people who don't care what the rules are. They don't care what the criminal code is. And when you have 22 and 25-year-olds who carry guns and shoot guns and rape women and hurt children, they're being released solely because of the virus. They would not have been released otherwise. But that's not what's happening. The floodgates haven't been opened. Besides, young, healthy populations, they aren't immune to the catastrophic effects of the virus. Well, I've gotten out myself 30 to 40 in the last month. We are not talking non-violent people. People who are non-violent. Really? 30 to 40 bales? Wow, that's more than one per business day. Put on your imagination hat, because this is how it's happening. I can tell you from the inside, I get many of these people out, and I'll do it today. I'm doing it again later today. I'll do it tomorrow. Whoa, 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 whoa wait. You're saying your clients are violent people who should be locked up, 
even considering the risk of COVID-19, but you got them out anyway? No, but you're missing the point. People who would never otherwise get out because they would be viewed as dangerous to the public are getting released on what's called a COVID bail. That's not true. There is no such thing as COVID bail per se. Yes, many jurists have considered the virus in determining whether someone's release is in the interest of justice and public safety, but there's no blanket rule. More to my point, are you saying your clients should not have been released? (laughs) I don't know if you're going to a break, but I'll have a good answer for you for that after the break. We actually don't do breaks. Look, I'm a bit concerned that your stance is fueling public misperception. Do you have any statistics to support your claim that violent people are being released solely due to COVID-19? I don't, but I can tell you in Ontario, and this is something that can be Googled, the jail population has been reduced somewhere in the range of a quarter to a third. Think that number through. If I said 3 to 5% reduction, okay, but a third to a quarter, according to statistics from the Solicitor General, that's how much the prison population has been reduced. From a different perspective, isn't it possible that the real problem is our tendency to over-incarcerate? You know as well as I that poverty, homelessness, addiction, and mental illness run rampant in our jails. All my life, I've tried to walk the straight and narrow. My mama and daddy always told me, do what's right. And that way you'll walk through life knowing that you're doing what's right. Nobody should think that the jails that hold people serving sentences of two years or under or who are waiting for trial are places where nonviolent people don't go. They may have beaten the crap out of their girlfriend. They may have pushed their child. They may have done eight million things. What's your primary concern? I just think there's not enough public debate about it. You mean public debate about your unproven, highly contentious assertion that violent offenders are being released solely because of COVID-19? That's something that for victims of crime and the general public is not something they've been made aware of. And again, as a defense lawyer, I do this all day, every day, and I'm very good at it. But it's still (laughs) something that I think the public has not been made aware of because we're too busy being distracted. Okay, I'll bite. Distracted by what? The fact that Brian Adams is unpopular for a day because as a vegan, he doesn't think people should be clubbing and skinning dogs at wet markets. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Ray, what do you say to this? It's not going to be pleasant because the crimes have been committed and you've got to pay Limiting the spread of COVID-19 hinges on physical distancing. In jail settings, inmates have virtually no ability to self-isolate. Physical distancing simply cannot occur when people living in close quarters are sharing sinks, toilets, showers, telephones. Then there's overcrowding to contend with. The same is true for psychiatric wards, immigration detention centers, certain long-term care facilities, to an extent, even homeless shelters. Congregate settings are basically giant petri dishes. It makes sense to reduce the population density as much as possible. 
from a defense lawyer's mind, I'm all in favor of it. But I can tell you, if I'm on the outside or a member of the community, this is really concerning to me, given the proposition this stands for. You see people, you know, saying it's in, uh, inhumane to keep people who are in jails that have been exposed in their cells. That is true. Solitary confinement and being locked up 23 and a half hours a day is inhumane. But we are in the middle of a world crisis that I could come up with a thousand examples of things that are inhumane. And each and every one of the news stories on this subject, where it suggests that everybody should be released from jail, you know, all but for the worst of Paul Bernardo should be let out. Well, that's not going to fly. I just don't follow. I do agree. Lots of things are inhumane. But how does that take away from the rights of people behind bars? Bearing in mind, these are some of the most marginalized members of our community. Do we take the view that there's nobody in this society that should be behind bars? Do we take that view? If we take that view, then all of these advocates who make their livings, as I make my living doing a certain thing, I'm an advocate. But are we now getting to the point where nobody can take the fundamental premise that certain people are so dangerous or incorrigible that they don't belong behind bars. And if it becomes the answer that, you know, because of the virus, it should be a big, huge, fat, get-out-of-jail-free card, that just seems absolutely ludicrous to me. Oh man, where do I even begin? The vast majority of people in custody are not incorrigible. I think you're referring to a tiny sliver of a fraction. And besides, jail isn't someplace people go to get better. The research shows it's not really great for rehabilitation. Anyway, I think we could have a very interesting discussion about prison abolition. But let's focus on your notion of COVID-19 as a big, huge, fat, get-out-of-jail card. Not everyone who is applying for bail during this time is actually receiving it. And I think it's important to be clear about why the court would consider COVID as an extenuating circumstance in the first place. There are a couple of propositions that have been accepted. First, outbreaks in tight spaces spread quickly and are hard to control. Second, as a population, the health status of people experiencing incarceration in Canada is worse than the rest of the public. They have higher rates of chronic disease, and people with underlying conditions are much more vulnerable to severe outcomes from infection, such as ICU admission or death. Third, outbreaks in correctional institutions can overwhelm public health systems. Fourth, jail outbreaks are basically tinder for the fire in more generalized outbreaks. Correction staff are in contact with the external world every day and transfer disease from and to the general population. It's not just about protecting individual prisoners, although that's reason enough in and of itself. It's also about protecting the broader public. Every extra person in congregate settings increases the risk of transmission, thus jeopardizing the community at large. This, in turn affects public perception about the administration of justice. I said months ago, months ago, stop putting new inmates 
into existing jails. That's how you bring the virus in and be very careful about the guards who come in because they might inadvertently spread it once they go home to their families. And lo and behold, in Quebec, you've seen that the biggest epidemic and outbreak in the Quebec penal system is the corrections officer who went home to his family, came back to work, and now somewhere around 100 people are infected in his prison. How do you reconcile that with your skepticism about bail during this time? I have a feeling that there are 6,000 issues that everybody will have an opinion on. Ray, are you worried about your former colleagues in uniform? What do you see as their role in all of this? we got to make sure that the sentence is carried out to the fullest extent of the law. Understood. Ari? I put my defense lawyer hat right back on here. We're living in a society where the courtroom really doesn't matter anymore. So we're now in that world where the courtroom of public opinion actually has more effect, likely, than the actual courtroom that lawyers, juries, and judges work in. I have to be honest. I'm picking up on some dissonant thoughts, beliefs. It sounds like you have conflicting opinions about what you do, and the value of defense lawyers generally. But just the fact that I think there are problems in the system or things are screwed up doesn't mean that if somebody called me right now violent, wanting to get out, I wouldn't put an argument before a court that was extremely compelling and likely to win because I believe that's what advocacy is about. I'll say this. I admire your self-esteem. Ray, final thoughts. You found out how easy it is to get locked up and how hard it is to escape. I stand tall, I stand proud. All I got for you is a little hard tap.